Good evening. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focused decisive action and inspired outcome. Our spotlight to highlight National Diabetes Awareness Month is on nutrition. And my guest is the People's Fat Loss Coach, Robert Ferguson, founder and CEO of Diet Free Life. He holds degrees in sports psychology, personal training, and performance nutrition, and he's been a nutritionist and conditioning coach to professional boxers that are featured on Showtime, HBO, ESPN. He's also been featured on E, CNN, ABC, BET, Fox News, just to name a few. To reach Robert, go to his website, dietfreelife.com. This is a fun, jam-packed interview you're going to enjoy. Robert Ferguson, welcome to Building Abundant Success. How are you doing today? I am doing absolutely wonderful. Tell our audience who you are, what you do. Well, uh, who I am, my name is Robert Ferguson. I am the <laughs> father of two uh, lovely little girls, and I have a wife, and we live in Ventura County, California, where I have a clinic by the name of Diet Free Life. And what we do is I show people how to eat the food that they love and lose all the weight they want, uh, without the negatives of traditional dieting. So nothing's forbidden. I basically meet people where they are, specializing in reducing waistline, but yet at the same time people learn how to expand their lifeline. So, uh, and when I say meet people where they are, that means meet them literally where they are, culturally, as far as the foods that they relate to, economically. I work with people who can afford organic food one way compared to working with people who can't afford organic, but yet maybe food is being subsidized by a food bank. I showed them how to make it work. Again, at the end of the day, for us, it's all about meeting people where they are and showing them how to make the most of their situation, and I believe that that's a big part of what wellness truly means. So specializing in wellness, some people call me the people's fat loss coach, and for 16 years, all we've done is really integrate food, fitness, and mindset. Uh, and, and showing people how they can get the results that they want. That sounds great. Now I know you have a background in psychology and also certified in fitness and nutrition. Now how did these uh, three come together? Was that something you always wanted to do? No, no, not at all. It, uh, it's one of those things where it just all kind of, the planets lined up the way they were supposed to, right? Uh, <laughs> my initial work was in the area of rape and assault prevention. And so my master's is in counseling psychology. And so I was in a situation where I was doing or providing quite a few talks um, as a speaker on sexual harassment, domestic violence, all the things that would lead up to rape as well as restoration if you were violated. And I had a group of women uh, ask me if I would put on a weight loss seminar because they assumed because I was working with athletes and I was fit and it looked like I ate healthy that I could probably put on a seminar that dealt with weight loss. Long story short, I decided, okay, I could do that. And I called my mom, who's a former lifetime dieter, and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to do a weight loss seminar. Can you give me some pointers? And she just helped me realize that I couldn't overnight position myself where I could give people, you know, concrete good tools and techniques on how they could literally be successful. So I just went out and I did the seminar, but I was up front with everyone. And I said, look, I have no training in nutrition at the time. I had no training in exercise at the time. 
but what I was good at was bridging the gap between what you know and what you do. So if you know what's healthy or what you would like to do, I can help you get to a place where you actually follow through and do what you know. And as you may know, the bigger the gap is between what you know and what you do, the lower your self-esteem is and how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. And if these ladies knew that drinking more water instead of, say, more Coke uh, or soda was going to help them reduce their waistline, then my goal was to help them be able to do that. And so when the seminar was over, I was told that it was the best weight loss seminar that they had experienced. And the only thing I was missing was the knowledge of, you know, how can I still eat the food that I want to eat? Or how can I make the most of this and not experience the negatives of, of dieting or restriction and deprivation? Because in my work, I knew how negative that would be. You know, if you take something from someone, you know, even based on Adam and Eve, it tells you that that's what I want. So my thing was, well, is it possible to still eat cheesecake, to still have my Memphis barbecue, to still eat biscuits and gravy, keep the flavor in the food, but yet become healthier, reduce my waistline? Was that possible? Before all these talk shows and food shows became popular, I was working with chefs to understand that. So I went back to school, did my work as a, and became a clinical nutritionist, a fitness specialist, and so we've been able to integrate those with the whole mindset, you know, mo- motivation, the psychology of fat loss, and we've been very successful. We've helped thousands of people go on to lose, you know, uh, staggering amounts of weight. Awesome. Now, what I love about your book, and I've read a bit about it, in the beginning you talk about this diet mentality, which kind of gets people stuck yes. in a rut. And I wanted you to explain to the audience a little bit more about that diet mentality, that they can't have this. It's pretty much, you know, when you say diet, you know, it's restrictive. Well, you know what? It, one of the best ways I've been able to convey the true meaning of a diet mentality is to first talk about, say, uh, the slave mentality. And, and to talk about Harriet Tubman, for instance. Slave mentality is when you're in a situation where you feel like there's no choice. Your choices are limited or you have none. Uh, however, you can become uh, complacent with where you are. And so the great example was when Harriet Tubman was freeing the slaves. When everything was over and she was interviewed, she was quoted as saying, if I could have convinced more slaves that they were slaves, I could have freed thousands more. Hmm. What that tells me is that they were content with where they were, and they had no notion or understanding of what it would mean to be free because they were getting three meals a day. No one was being beaten. No one was in a place where they felt, you know, they were missing anything. And she was sharing with them this this whole opportunity that, you know, the, the grass is greener. But no matter what she said, she couldn't convince them because the disconnect was too big. Hmm. Where she had experience, and so my question was always, why was it that she knew that there was something better? And that something better was freedom. And so when I, you know, go on a radio show or I'm talking about eating the foods that you love and still losing weight, many people are listening, but it's hard to believe. Because why are they just now hearing this? You know, or, or or there must be some type of, you know, 
catch to this where you can only eat a, a thumb-sized steak or maybe one french fry, you know, like what are you eating? And then the people who have the knowledge, this goes against what they know. You know, it's kind of like what Einstein once said, that you cannot solve today's problems using the mindset that created the problem. Mm-hmm. So when you look at, say, the South Beach diet, and I'm not being negative, I'm just being open and real, that was written by someone in a diet mentality, sold to other people in a diet mentality. It didn't solve the problem. Even though a lot of people jumped on it, they had temporary success, but then they went back to their old ways because they're restricted and deprived. You know, and then you have the zone. Okay, the zone has a lot of science with it, and it may work, but it only talked to people who ate salmon and asparagus. It didn't talk to someone who had never seen salmon or didn't even know what asparagus was. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have the Atkins diet. Again, diet mentality being sold to people in a diet mentality. So here I come, and I'm saying, hey, everyone can eat the foods that they have a cultural relationship with, and you can still get results. So I'm going to show you how to eat pork chops, mac and cheese, and collard greens. And you're going to eat them in the right combination and amounts. You're satisfied. And your blood sugar levels are going to not go up too high. And you're going to eat often, so they're not going to fall too low. And you're going to maximize what we call the thermic effect of food, meaning every time you eat, you're going to maximize the amount of calories you can burn. And this is something where you're not on a diet. And you feel better. You're reducing your waistline. And you know what? You can be at a family reunion. You can be at Thanksgiving. You can be with your relatives during the holidays. And no one knows that you're eating a little differently because you're eating the same as they are. The only difference is that you're reducing your waistline and they're adding interest to it. I like one of your um, bullet points in your book, you know, diet-free life in a nutshell, embracing the possibility that there's a new approach to weight loss that will work. Now, that's what you're talking about now. Can you tell us a little bit more? Well, I mean, it's, it's a new way of looking at things, right? Because it's all, about, it's all principle-based methodologies. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Weight Watchers is a method. And you can lose weight, and it, and it works. Um, you know, Jenny Craig is a method. But what's the principle that makes that method something that will last and work now, as well as when you drop the weight and then later on in life? So my belief and understanding is that when people learn the principles, then they can devise their own methods, which goes back to you customizing it to work for you. See, some people, you know, like when I'm traveling around the country, I may be in uh, in Mississippi, and the majority of the people that I've come in contact with there, they don't eat oatmeal, but they eat grits. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in Utah, they dip their fries in a a thing called a fry sauce, Mm -hmm. which is a combination of ketchup and mayo. Mm -hmm. Well, in California, you you don't get fry sauce. You know, and casseroles aren't abundant in restaurants. Mm -hmm. If I'm in, you know, Atlanta, I can almost go to any restaurant and get shrimp and grits. Mm -hmm. If you're in, you know, California, you're not getting shrimp and grits. They're going to look at you because that's foreign. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's just meeting people where they are. And I'm not sure if I'm answering the question the way it was posed, but it really comes down to principle-based methods that work. And they always are going to work, but yet is learning how to eat the foods that are in front of me in a way to get results. 
And when you yeah. have someone right. who's eating, when you have someone that's eating top ramen, box mm-hmm. cheese, canned beans, and they're able to um, take their elevated cholesterol and bring it down, or go from being a hypertensive to not being a hypertensive, or someone who had a hemoglobin A1C of over 10%, which means they're a type 2 diabetic, mm-hmm. and now they don't, what do you call that? And they're eating the foods that you were under the impression were the foods that caused them to be in that situation. Now, in your diet-free method, you're talking about having the adequate amounts of proteins, fast carbs, slow carbs, and um, this is supposed to stabilize blood sugar. And I know when blood sugar goes up and down, the hunger cycles can go pretty crazy. And you were just talking about people's A1C. You know, how... How does your method help people with these types of health issues? Can you get into, especially since this is Diabetes Awareness Month, how can it help somebody with a high blood sugar to get these adequate amounts? And you're also talking about snacking in between meals. These are things we're taught, hey, this is going to put more more weight on me. Why am I going to do this? Uh, I need to reduce, reduce, reduce. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that, and I'm glad you followed up with that. And, and the one thing that I agree with all those books and diets that I've talked about is that they all touch on blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that everyone gets it. The big difference is that they're not speaking uh, and using foods that people that everybody can relate to. They're talking about the foods that fall into a category of this thing called the glycemic index, right. which we can talk more about. Now, the way my program works and how all this, this comes together is that the ultimate goal is to keep your blood sugar levels from spiking too high and falling too low. Uh, and we do that by eating our foods in the right combinations and amounts. And when I say amounts, most people, that's like uh, portions or serving size. Because if you eat a whole pizza, <laughs> even though I'm saying you, know, you can eat delivery pizza, if you eat a whole bunch, then you're going to cause what we call a uh, food flood. You're going to cause your body to, yeah, you're going to burn more calories, but yet your body cannot break down, digest, and use that much food at one time. Mm -hmm. And so whatever it can't metabolize at that moment must be stored if it's not being excreted. And that's how people gain weight. And then you bring in the hormonal reaction of consuming too many carbs at one time. You, You get this thing, this hormone called insulin gets secreted. Insulin's job which is a great job, is to store. And whenever sugar, too much sugar is, is consumed at one time, you get more, an excess of insulin that gets secreted, and its job is to get that sugar out of your blood. And in doing that, that's when I say a person has shifted into fat storing mode. Wow. So the goal is, yes, you want to get an adequate amount of protein, which doesn't mean that you overconsume protein, because... You can be a vegetarian or vegan and eat only carbohydrates and fat and get an adequate amount of protein. So, you know, my vegans, many of them, if you meet someone who's a vegetarian, quite often they're overweight. But they don't know how to combine their foods in a way to get an adequate amount of protein. And so at one point in my life, I was a vegan uh, and a vegetarian and I was an athlete. But I knew how to eat my foods in the right combinations. Like, and at the time, I didn't have all the details, but I later learned that the way I was combining the foods was 
actually like 100% accurate because I was getting an adequate amount of protein, an adequate amount of carbs, and I wasn't getting too many carbs. And when you do that, that's when you don't get your blood sugar levels to go up too high. And the reason why you eat in between your meals is because once you eat, your blood sugar levels go up and hopefully not too high. And when you go long periods of time without eating, your blood sugar levels start to drop, right? So as you're walking around and you ate breakfast at 8, around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, blood sugar levels are dropping because your body is using the foods that you consume for energy, and everything's being converted. And after about two and a half, three hours, and you haven't eaten, your blood sugar levels, they keep dropping. Mm. Now, let's say five hours goes by and you haven't eaten, your blood sugar levels have flatlined. And a great example of this, and everyone can go and put this to the test, is to go five or six hours without eating anything and go grocery shopping. Well, you're biologically in a place where you're going to be hungry and you can't rationalize the same. The mental clarity is not the same. You're going to end up buying food that you haven't bought in years. And that's because mentally you weren't, you weren't 100%. And we know even with kids, you know, who go to school that there's better grades, better clarity, better, uh, uh, performances as far as like their how they interact with other kids when they're able to snack in between breakfast and lunch. So that keeps the blood sugar levels from flatlining, mm-hmm. and that's what we want to do. And so my whole methodology has just been, hey, I'm going to eat the foods that I want to eat, so I'm not feeling restricted, and I'm going to eat in a way where my blood sugar levels don't go too high and they don't drop too low. And when you do that homeostasis is going to become a natural effect. That means that you're automatically, if you're naturally just a little bit overweight, you're going to start to get leaner. And then it's just a matter of, you know, sculpting your body or your body composition the way you want, you know, and and then you bring in exercise. And then you understand about resistance training. And then, you know, the more active you are uh, or the more mature you are, you may want to consume more protein. You know, and so then you start tweaking things along the process, but through that learning curve, you learn how to use food to get the health and the waistline that you want. Now, you're mentioning exercise. Many people think to lose weight or to be on a diet and lose weight. Of course, you have diet that's basically rabbit food, as some people put it, and then you're sweating in the gym and they think that you have to have hours on end of exercise and hours on end of weight training. Well, scared. <laughs> it scares and, them off. <laughs> but again, that goes back to a mentality that many of us have, and that is, you know, maybe in the past they got great results when they were very active. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom for years was the type of person who didn't believe she could lose weight unless she was 100% engaged in exercising consistently. Uh, and that's not true. We know this when you look at popular commercial weight loss programs like Weight Watchers. You can just reduce your calories and lose a ton of weight. So when it comes to exercise, I first ed- educate people that you're always burning fat even when you're watching TV. Always. And you're always burning carbs. That's just the way our body works. Now, when you're more active, you're going to burn more calories. 
So if I go for a walk, then in order to move my body through that walk, I must burn more calories. Therefore, I'm going to get leaner, uh, my metabolism is going to be boosted, and it's a win-win. Now, the amount of time that you perform is the first goal, and I call it a goal, is to get you where you can perform 12 consistent minutes of cardio. That's it. Now, when I say that, you know, a lot of people in the audience are hearing me. They want to believe me uh, because it's going against what most everyone else is saying. Can I give an example? I was recently at a seminar where we had a celebrity fitness person. And I'm not going to mention their name because many people would know this person. And I don't want to put them on blast right now. But this person talked about exercise. And the first recommendation was telling people to jump rope, to uh, walk upstairs, and, you know, to make the exercise intense. Now, I looked at the audience. And the majority of the people in the audience were women over the age of 50. Now, I don't know when the last time the average 55-year-old was jumping rope. But if you're over 200 pounds and you haven't exercised in 20, 30 years, you can't even imagine being able to jump out there and do jump roping or walk upstairs. And to me, the way he delivered his information, it was almost like just, you know, putting a dagger in everyone's hip. Because even though they were there to be inspired and to become healthier, he shared with them what the uh, the steps were needed, and it was too much for them. And so they felt, okay, see, I'm too old. I can't do this anymore. Whereas when I came up and talked, I said, hey, let's make 12 minutes the first goal of continuous activity, whether that's in the water, whether that's walking, let's find something that, that works for you. And I gave the example of my mom, who my mom, after having her knee, uh, her knees, both of her knees reconstructed twice, my mom, she couldn't walk five minutes without having to sit down. So that was our goal. And that was tough for her because, remember, she's someone who believed the exercise was how she was going to lose the weight. So as we focus on the food and then we got her moving, this same woman who couldn't do five minutes worked up to being able to do 60 minutes without having to stop. And when I share that story, there's a lady who couldn't walk hardly at all. This same woman, she started out, she did three minutes, and she had to stop. Today, this woman is up to 45 minutes, and she's 91 pounds leaner. Wow. Now, at first, she didn't think exercise was going to be part of the deal because she couldn't see herself going from zero to 120 miles an hour as was recommended. I came in and said, look, I'm going to meet you where you are, and I'm going to get you exercising a little bit. And we're going to create goals, and you're going to accomplish those goals, and the next thing you know, six months is going to go by, and you're going to be able to do 60 minutes. You can't see that now, but that doesn't matter. What matters right now is that let's get you up to 12 minutes. So that was something that made sense to her. And then she just wanted to know, well, if are my efforts going to actually give me the results I want? And she discovered that, yep, that was the case. And now she's a living testimony of someone who didn't jump rope, who didn't kill themselves exercising. She focused on her food first. She got up to doing 12 minutes of cardio and continued to press forward. And now she's 91 pounds lighter. 
So it's again, you got to meet people where they are with food and with fitness. It all works the same. You just gave an example of a guy who was saying, you know, climb stairs and jump rope. Well, you've got people half the age of 55. You've got my generation, and you also have millennials. We have an obesity issue, and this month is Diabetes Awareness Month. How can, you're supposed to be more active in your youth. How can this happen? How can, like what what part happen? Well, we have a diabetes, uh, well, diabetes epidemic, diabetes Uh and obesity. And you would think childhood and young adulthood, um, you'd be much more active and able to burn calories, but... Millennials and belated Gen Xers, you've got a big increase in obesity in our generation. Why do you think that is? Well, you know what? There's no one specific reason why that is. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, there's many reasons. Uh, you know, you could we could point the finger at, at quite a few things. Um, however, I do believe that the the, the way we're going to get out of this situation is by first getting the parents to be successful. Mm-hmm. See, when everybody else is trying to go to the teachers and trying to, like, work around the parents, my whole thing is, look, if we can help the parents, we can help the kids. Okay, and again, here's a great example. When I was going to school, I was raised in a predominantly African-American community. And the school I went to, there's, like, maybe one Caucasian kid. No Asians, no Hispanics, you know, just all black, Right. And we had a language, a way of speaking when I would be in school, when I was hanging out with my friends, and when I was at home. That, you know, Jesse Jackson made popular, he called it Ebonics. Remember that? Yeah. Okay, so let's just say that. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Okay, so it's like slang, speaking slang. Yes. Now, when I went to school, in school, my teachers, they taught us English a proper way of communicating and speaking. So I learned English, but I practiced Ebonics. Wow. So I became skilled at a language that I wasn't being taught in school. Well, my mom spoke Ebonics. So kids always do what they see their parents do, not so much what they have their parents tell them. And... We know through data and research that if one parent is overweight or obese, four out of ten kids will be overweight or obese. If both parents are overweight or obese, then 80% of the kids are going to be overweight or obese. So it doesn't matter what we're telling them. They are going to become closer to what they're experiencing when they look at their parents. Mm. And as a dad, having two little girls, one is almost two and one is four, I see that. If I raise my voice to make a point, even though I'm not yelling, then I know my four-year-old raises her voice to make a point. Wow. And we know this to be true. So to me, the work is going back to the parents. Let's get the parents healthy. And if the parents are healthy then it works. You know, I'll never forget, you know, the old saying of, you know, watching the mom smoke cigarettes. And the mom was like, look, you're not going to smoke, kid. You know, so you do what I say, not as I do. Well, what happens? I mean, 
The people listening right now, many totally can identify with this, and that is the kid ends up smoking, doing exactly what the parent didn't want them to do. Why? Because the parent did it. Then it doesn't matter how bad it is, the kids will do what they see us do, not what they hear us tell them to do. My follow-up to that is, okay, say the parents do what you are, are saying, and they have this example at home. Well, I, I grew up in an opposite environment. <laughs> we were the only African-American folks in our neighborhood. <laughs> but when I got to school, we had a, 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 a school where we would not only have a lunch break, we would have a break break where they, they would you know, give us all kinds of things that we didn't even have at home. And, yeah, I was tempted a few times to <laughs> to indulge in some of the treats that weren't particularly helpful. What do you say when the kid goes to school, even though the parent has set those guidelines? And uh, you have uh, not necessarily the healthiest choices there. Well, you know what? Kids are going to do what they're going to do. And so what I always share with parents is do the best that you can and know that if you don't come across judgmental, mm-hmm. Um, and you keep it open, then the kid will come back to you. That means that they will embrace what you do. So, so for instance, people will say, hey, you know, your kid is going to eat, you know, this junk food and that junk food. And I go, okay, well, when, they, when she does, it's not a big deal. Because in our house, we don't eat food based on if it's healthy or not. We eat food based on if we like it. The integrity of what I give my kids is the best that I can give them. So if I were to say that white bread is unhealthy, then when my little girl goes over to her friend's house, she is going to just naturally judge her friend because she's eating unhealthy. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to preach and tell everybody that we eat whole, you know, whole wheat bread. I mean, why do I need to do that? There's no insecurities on my end. I believe that everyone's doing the best they can. Right. So if you're a kid ends up eating something that's outside of what you have at home, then when they bring it up to you, hey, Mommy, I ate this, and if that this is not something that you serve, then make it a goal not to be judgmental and to put that down. And, again, your kid will then tell you when they ate it again. You don't want to make it to where they need to hide it from you because they will. There's a lot of very fit parents who have overweight kids and the parents are walking around wondering why is my kid overweight you know every time I see her eat she's eating the same things we're eating well mom guess what you're probably judgmental and you probably make comments that you don't realize and your daughter hides it from you because she wants to be at her best in front of you she doesn't want to uh, let you know that you're, she's doing something or eating something that goes against what you like. So the best thing for her is to hide it. It happens all the time. I see it all the time. And many of the parents who are dealing with this, they're not going to go look for help. And the reason many of them don't ask for help is because it would make them feel bad as a parent. Because they don't want anyone knowing that they're not doing a good job. So what happens is we oppress it, we suppress it, we sweep it under the rug, and we just hope that things work out. I see it all the time. That's why message to Michelle Obama and all the people out there trying to figure it out, you're not going to figure it out. Uh, It's not going to happen. And I'm an optimist. 
is because you're approaching it, many of these people are approaching it from a judgmental standpoint.